The Daily Rios, Episode 391, New Comics Wednesday, and a review of Matt Wagner's Trinity. Hey everyone, this is Peter. Back again, New Comics Wednesday, for books shipping this week of Wednesday, August 2nd, 2017. The Road to Marvel Legacy begins with the Generations The Strongest One-Shot, featuring Totally Awesome Hulk, which is Amadeus Cho, and Bruce Banner Hulk, by Greg Pak and Matteo Bofagni, for $4.99. This is the first in a series of 10 one-shots in which the younger heroes will team up with past versions of their older counterparts, apparently due to things going on in Secret Empire. And this issue will answer the question, who is the strongest one there is? Apparently there's something called the Vanishing Point, Hello Time Masters from DC Comics, where time has no meaning, and uh, the heroes will discover what what is needed to usher in the future of the Marvel Universe. Now, in companion to the episode uh, that I did on Monday, uh, the Daily Rios episode 390, which was a look at Marvel Legacy, all of the preview solicits uh, for book shipping in October, there is an article by Brian Hibbs talking about Marvel Legacy from a retailer point of view, particularly with how orders are going to go for certain issues and certain variants. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes because I think you're going to want to read that. Uh, And it's a nice point of view because obviously it's from the retailer and not just me, a comic fan, a comics pundit. (laughs) Um, So check it out. Check it out. But I will be picking up, uh, I will be reading Generations the Strongest because I want to know where all of this is going. And I imagine I will do an episode on it Uh, the next time I do a New Comics Wednesday episode. From Dark Horse, Jerry and the Joker, Adventures of Comic Art, a hardcover for $34.99. It's a memoir by the late Jerry Robinson, and it's kind of interesting because there's been a lot of spotlight on Bill Finger and Bob Kane when it comes to Batman, particularly Uh, a documentary on Hulu about Bill Finger and his contributions to the Batman universe. And now here we have an artist that was also influential to the Bat universe um, telling his particular side of the story. And it goes from when he was 17 years old and became uh, the artist on Detective Comics and Batman and how he would help to go on to create uh, and co-create the Joker as well as Robin. And this volume includes never-before-published full-page artwork featuring Batman, Robin, the Joker, and more. The next recommendation is from a publisher that I'm not sure I've talked about before. This is from Vault Comics. Their mission statement is as follows, to publish original, creator-owned science fiction and fantasy comics. Creating science fiction and fantasy is essentially about imagining and experiencing the new, the bizarre, the unimagined. In the realm of science fiction and fantasy, creators can break the established order, dissolve conceptions of social identity, and give voices to the silenced. 
They can ask hard questions, and if they are brave, venture bold answers. Inside the vault, it's safe to be different. The Vault was founded in 2016 by brothers Adrian and Damian Wassel, uh, and then there's also Nathan Gooden and their father, Damian Wassel Sr., who is uh, principal, probably the uh, the money guy, maybe? I don't know. Previous titles include Fissure, Failsafe, Powerless, Karma Police, and more. And as of this week, Spiritus Number 1 by Tim Daniel and Michael Kennedy. And the blurb is... A champion fighter convicted of murder, Kinju faces automated confinement, the transfer of her consciousness into a state-programmed labor machine. But a ruthless underworld boss diverts her into a vessel unshackled from its rigid programming. Only Federal Marshal Ruben Reveles stands between the armored warrior and sanctuary. And this is $3.99. The artwork by Michael Kennedy is what caught my eye for this one. He has an interesting way of coloring his artwork. The art style itself is along the lines of, I don't know, like a mix of cubism and futurism. But the atmosphere and the sensibility of it is interesting. It feels like it's from the Frank Santoro School of Art. And the coloring reminds me of watching a colorist um, flat their work before they actually go into the coloring. So if you know what flatting is, it's just basically like color separations and flatting, um, big flat colors to separate the line work so that an artist can then go in and see where all the different planes are and what uh, what they have to actually color and mold and sculpt. Um, so it looks like it never gets past the flatting stage, which I like. So it has an interesting feel. And this is another one that I may uh, read for review for next time. From Image Comics, we have Elsewhere Number 1 by Jay Farber and Sumeya Kesgin. It's the fantastic story of what really happened to Amelia Earhart. And it has strange new worlds filled with flying beasts and alien civilizations. Along the way, Amelia will forge alliances and make enemies as she goes from aviator to freedom fighter in a rebellion against a merciless warlord. $3.99. I'll give any book by Jay uh, a try, at least for the first issue. So there's my recommendation for that. And then for something a little more challenging, a little different, something that I have no idea what to expect, from Fanagraphics, Education, a graphic novel for $30 by John Hankowicz. In this experimental graphic novel, chronology and permanence are in flux, while surreal illusions weave in and out of lucid states. Education is a time-fracture stream of consciousness. So this is just weird enough and just different enough to make me go, okay, I'll give that, I'll give that a look. And then from DC Comics, in celebration of Jack Kirby's 100th birthday at the end of this month, August 28th, we have the first of many specials, New Gods, uh, a one-shot by Shane Davis and Walt Simonson, and others. And this will feature a story with Orion and Light Ray and Forager and Calabac, as well as a backup story by Walt Simonson about a young Orion. And then some Jack Kirby reprints from Forever People issues four and seven, all for $4.99. Also, a couple shout outs. Um, Charles Foreman's uh, The End of the Fucking World has another hardcover release because uh, his 
little mini comic that then was released through a publishing house um, is coming to Netflix. So they decided to release another hardcover and they slapped a sticker on there that says soon to be on Netflix or something like that. So look for that. And then I believe this week um, DC is releasing a second printing of Batman and Elmer Fudd by Tom King and Lee Weeks. So be sure to pick that up. So next week, um, I'm going to be on vacation next week. I don't know if I'll be able to do some episodes from the shore, but if I can, I'm going to do a review of Generations, definitely uh, Spiritus from number from Vault Comics and possibly elsewhere as well. And if I don't get to do that on while I'm at vacation, I'll try to drop that as soon as I get back. Hi, I'm Kevin Eastman and this is David Avalone. We have this really crazy new project we're going to talk to you about today. So a few years ago, I'm at Emerald City Comic Con in the hotel bar, as usual, and I meet this drunk, really funny guy, really entertaining, and he tells me his name, and it's Shane Bookman. Shane Bookman. I, I mean, Shane Bookman was a legend. Uh, he created the radically rearranged Ronin Ragdolls. Say that three times fast. They were inspired by the Turtles, but the Ragdolls were totally their own thing. Great, fun, funny comic. He was a big success, and yet, in spite of the Saturday morning cartoon and the big budget movie reboot and all that, the guy himself is like completely forgotten. We'd like to bring Shane back from obscurity. We want to tell you the real story behind the creation of the Ragdolls and the whole roller coaster ride of fame and infamy that brings us to pretty much where he is today. We call the story Drawing Blood. It's a totally fictional true story of what happened to when you create a billion dollar worldwide franchise in your one bedroom apartment when you're too young and dumb to know what you're doing or what you're in for. With your help, we can create Drawing Blood Volume 1, a trade paperback with the first four chapters of the amazing, true-ish story of Shane Bookman. If we can hit our stretch goal, we'll even be able to make the first issue of the radically rearranged Ronin Ragdolls. You know, although I might have transitioned out of my ownership and profits from the Turtles more than 20 years ago, um, I've really always measured my success by the love and support I've gotten from my fans. I mean, I would not have the greatest job in the universe writing and drawing comic books without your help and without your support. So, um, Check out this Kickstarter. I'd love to have you be part of it, and I think you find something awesome here. Thank you. Thank you. It's totally fictional, and it's a true story. Very true. So last week, DC released a new edition of Matt Wagner's Trinity. I mentioned that as much as I dig the Trinity concept, this story went unread, which is no longer the case. Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Trinity by Matt Wagner with Dave Stewart. Letters by Sean Connett, which I believe I mentioned something about him in a previous episode. This is from 2003. I gave it a read, and I'm going to talk a little bit about it. So this is uh, Matt Wagner's version of the first team-up between Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. Both of the male characters are meeting Wonder Woman for the first time, um, but they have already met prior to this story. And all three of them go up against a global threat perpetrated by Ra's al Ghul with the help of Bizarro and a very young Amazon exile. This is uh, originally it was three issues, prestige format, 64 pages. And uh, the story itself is just Matt Wagner's version of, of their first team up. I've seen a lot of reviews and a lot of forum comments here and there that are trying hard to find where this story takes place in continuity. And that's just foolish. 
especially when you when Wagner is clearly using so many different eras and so many different art styles that belong to each character, respective of their you know various publishing history. So he's using all of this to tell his story. It doesn't need to take place specifically um, between this comic and that comic. It's just a version. It's just a version. There are times where I feel like I'm reading the golden age versions of this char- of these characters. There are times in the story that Darwin Cook's inspiration from New Frontier really stands out, which is odd because this book came out before New Frontier, but I'm reading it after New Frontier, and, and I'm noticing similar tones. Um, so that's an interesting little aspect to it. There are times when I feel a real strong 80s vibe. We get Burns' version of Superman. We get Perez's Wonder Woman, elements from um, what he brought to the mythos. We even get Frank Miller's Batman from Year One and Dark Knight Returns, not to mention the way both John Byrne and Frank Miller handled uh, the relationship between Batman and Superman. That's very strong in a lot of places as well. And then you even have elements of um, how their relationship, the three of them, uh, how they react with each other in relation to Kingdom Come. Now, obviously, Kingdom Come was written well before this, but it takes place in the future when the three of them are old friends. But there's something to that as well, uh, if you you know that uh, story. Artistically, you'll see Frank Miller, I got elements of Tim Sale sometimes, the Fleischer cartoons, H.G. Peter, David Mazzucchelli from year one, obviously some Schuster art, artwork, Alex Ross inspiration. Uh, it's a gathering of what I assume Matt Wagner likes about all the various eras, and he's bringing them together. Sometimes the combination works really well. Other times, as I'm sure you probably are thinking, that mashup of characteristics and mythos and art styles can be jarring or a little out of place, you know. But Matt Wagner's a comic book fan, I have to imagine. And I would like to think that he went in with uh, knowledge of where all the best stuff of of these characters um, comes from. And then he gets to play around. He gets to have a wide arsenal of tools And he gets to pick a little from this and a little from that to make the story that he wants to make. Now, look, I don't think DC would ever double down on this being canon, uh, and they don't have to. The format and the approach of it, like so many of their evergreen stories, it just stands alone. It's about the characters. It's not about the continuity. And what works really well for this story is I feel like you could give this to a new reader to get an overview of each character And they would walk away with somewhat of a groundwork understanding. It hits the right beats. It hits traits. uh, The essence of the characters, the respective worlds that they inhabit, it's all there. And again, it's meant to tell this story. He's putting these characters into a frame of reference that he needs for this story, not for the reader and not for continuity. Now, having said all that, There are some things that might make a new reader scratch his head if they aren't somewhat knowledgeable. Superman makes a reference to himself about being a farm boy. Uh, You you see a young kid in the Batcave that isn't in a Robin costume. You uh, find out that um, as Clark Kent, 
Superman misses his train to work three times a week. And it's all to keep up appearances, right? But if you don't have a passing knowledge of the Clark Kent persona, especially this early in Superman's career, and you don't know that it's a mask, maybe you don't get why that's kind of funny or, or important. Um, what is Wonder Woman's origin? It's not detailed in this story, and yet there is something about this story that connects her origin to something within the Batman universe. So um, if you don't know that she was molded from the clay of Paradise Island, maybe that's a part of it that might feel a little bit empty or might um, be missed. So it's not really expressed, and you have to fill in the gap. But look, I like that about comic book writing. I like when it doesn't talk down to readers and try to explain everything. And while I can see it being a little bit of a head head scratcher to new readers, I don't think that's bad because I think, if anything, it might make them say, well, let me look up Wonder Woman's origin. Let me read that story or get some information. And it's no different than when I was a kid and I said, well, I don't know who that is. Let me go get my who's who. Let me go get my ohatmu and let me go get any information I can to find out who they are. It just made me more interested in it. So I've never been a fan of spoon feeding. I don't believe in it. Um, I think I think people who are who question too much, um, it's because they they want to be spoon fed. And this story doesn't do that. It leaves some things to your imagination and it connects a lot of other things. And I think that's great. Now speaking of Wonder Woman, I will say um, of all the voices of the three characters, hers was the most um, it was the, it felt the oddest as I was reading it to my inner ear. This is early on in, in her experience, right? She's meeting both of these characters for the same time. She's coming to Patriarch's world, which is a Perez Wonder Woman concept for the first time, but she fe- she's not naive. She feels a little more ancient, primal, and sometimes she feels even older. Now, some of this could be my own lack of experience in not reading her golden age stories. So Matt Wagner might be channeling some of that. So that was the only thing that kind of felt a little off. But one thing he does do with her that I really like, um, he does this thing with her thought captions. So if you've ever read Mark Wade and Barry Kitson's JLA year one in it, it's, it's about the formation of the justice league. Um, And it's very similar to this story in that it's written well after the fact of years and years of continuity, and it's written well after the the crisis. So um, Mark Wade and Barry Kitson get to play around with all of the various origin stories of the Justice League. So in it, Black Canary, because her mother belonged to the JSA, would oftentimes say to the other young Justice League members, Um, you know, we should do this because in this situation, this is what the JSA would do. Or in this situation, in this situation, Dr. Midnight would do this or Wildcat would do this. And Matt Wagner does that with Diana and all of the Greek myths. So she uses these myths and these stories, which to her are history, I guess you could say, um, to get through certain situations. It's almost like asking what would Odysseus do, you know? And uh, she makes comparisons to certain characters, to gods. Um, There's a nod to Superman being like Apollo from um, the Greek gods. The Amazons see him as Apollo, which is so cool because obviously there is an Apollo in Stormwatch, 
uh, who was a Superman analog. So I thought that was a nice touch. It's great. What he, when he ever, whenever he does that, he does it about four or five times. I really appreciate it. It's not just Wonder Woman saying, suffering Sappho and great Hera. It's actually using her history and her and legends. Um, and it's a great touch whenever it happens. So Trinity, it's not it's not the level of New Frontier or Kingdom Come or Dark Knight Returns. Um, it's more along the lines of an Elseworlds tale. It doesn't impact the larger consciousness of the characters. I mean in the way that something like Dark Knight has totally impacted the tone of Batman, right? Burns Man of Steel and his Superman run changed Superman for a new era. Uh, it changes the perceptions of these characters. That's not what this is. And I don't believe that's what Matt Wagner is trying to do with it either. It's just a good, entertaining read. Ultimately, the way he has reached all over the DC universe in terms of eras and mythos and art and the way he has weaved them together into a story that is at the beginning of all three of their careers, but using their entire publishing history to be able to give echoes for what will come later in their history. It just makes for a fun read for those of us that jive on these uh, larger-than-life uh, DCU-centric stories. Now, I did take more specific notes for each issue. I don't want to get into them here. Otherwise, this episode will be way too long. So maybe I'll do a breakdown at a later date if people are interested, uh, particularly Chris Beckett, if you're listening, because he commented a couple times on Twitter about this. If, uh, if and when I, I figure out the Skype thing, um, we should talk about the story. We should gush about it if you're game. We could do a, an episode uh, or three um, on this story. It might be fun to do. So there you go. That's my uh, little mini review of Trinity. I, I would read it if you're a DCU fan. I would read it if you're a Trinity fan. If you're someone that likes these larger-than-life standalone stories um, that don't reach the level of like iconic status like Kingdom Come does, but just tells a story that rewards you for knowing about these characters, yeah, this is this is good. This is really good. So I'm glad I read it. Okay. That's it for recommendations and for reviews. I do have to drop one more thing that I learned today. My local comic shop, South Philly Comics, here in South Philly, obviously, just posted that they are closing their doors as of September 3rd, and that's really sad. I don't know the ins and outs. Um, they've been there for about a f uh, about five and a half years, um, and then prior to that, they were... Uh, you know, about two blocks away in South Philly under a different owner. But in this location where they're at now, they've been there for about five and a half years. They're closing in September. They want people to go in and pick up their books if, um, if anybody in Philly is actually listening. And if you're not and you're visiting Philly, hey, why don't you go in and buy some of their stuff to help them out? Um, I have yet to go see them. I just learned about this before I recorded and uh, I want to know, you know, what's going on. So that's sad. It's sad that I won't have a comic store that's, you know, half a block away. And it's sad that my local comic store it will no longer be around. So um, I'll let you know more once I found out, find out more. All right. This has been the Daily Rios episode 391. We will talk to you one more time this week um, before I go on vacation. And, uh, and then after that, we'll see how many episodes I get out. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Peter at thedailyrios.com. 
uh, or go to the website, thedailyrios.com, and leave a comment and uh, read your comics. And if you have comics at your local comic store that have been sitting there for a couple weeks or a month, go and buy your comics. Give them your money. All right. See ya.